I'm your host, Gianni Storm. This is a new podcast where we share real people and their stories of perseverance. Always remember, scars show toughness, that you've been through it and you're still standing. Today's storyteller is Shamanica Slaughter, a survivor of domestic abuse on a mission to advocate and teach others there is life after abuse. Shamanica provides the tools for women to never go back to abuse through her nonprofit organization, Help Me Help You. Shamanica will take us on an emotional journey of her own abuse and how she turned her turmoil, her pain, her hurt into triumph. Amen. That was beautiful. <laughs> we do want to start the story at the beginning, okay. which is Mobile, Alabama. Um, growing up, it was you, it was your sisters, it was your mom and your dad, but your dad, he was in and out, in and out of your lives, and your mother did suffer from drug addiction. If you could describe for us physically your home, put us in your home at that time. It was very dark. It was very cold. It was very loveless. It wasn't a lot of love there, a lot of love shown, a lot of love given. And so we moved around a lot because of my mother's addiction, so we never could settle in one place because we were moving, living with this person, that person, or we was in a shelter. And it was just really cold because of her addiction. We really grew up without, you know, we would go months at a time without lights, without water, you know, without food in a sense, you know, she, you know, received assistance and everything, but we used to have to hide food because she would go shopping then come back and get the food and take it out and sell it so she can get money to feel have. So we would have to hide food so we could have something to eat or we ate at school. That was the only time that we would eat. It, it was just very me. I was the darker sister of all of my sisters. So, you know, I kind of got teased a lot and a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of mental abuse because of my skin color and everything. And my mom, you know, she... She didn't care. She didn't do anything about it. The roughest time that we had, we lived in Birmingham. She had left Mobile. She had told my grandmother that she didn't want to be a mother anymore and that she killed all of us and that she left. And so for a whole year, my grandmother thought we were dead because oh she had told us that she killed us and that she couldn't do it anymore. And so, but she, we really was living in Birmingham and it was a really rough time there. She was really deep into her drug addiction then so, you know, a lot of times she would put us out the house and we would have to sleep on the back porch and we would have to sleep in a dumpster so we could stay cold. And then to whenever someone would get finished, when she would finish getting high, whatever she was doing, they would leave. Then that's when we was able to come back in the house and just, you know, get out the coldness or whatever it was. And so it was just a really traumatic childhood. My oldest sister, she pretty much raised us. And so just we, we, we used to sit around and play cards. And we would play different little games because when it comes to like holidays and birthdays, my mom would leave. So, you know, Christmas time, she wasn't there. We would just, we really spent a lot of time alone and okay. just the four of us, you know, we've been together. We had each other, you know, in a sense, even though all what was going on, we had each other. So I was always smaller than all of my sisters. And so, you know, they would talk about, you don't have a shape. Look at your hair. Is this, is that? It was just like a constant thing. And for a long time, you know, like I had a, a strong hatred toward light-skinned women. 
because I felt they all were the same. But, you know, of course, I got healed and through all that, but they took me through a lot. And the sad part about it is now we don't even have a relationship. Like, me and my sisters, we don't at all. I have one sister who hasn't spoken to me in five years. She stopped talking to me. My younger sister, you know, she's married. She got her own life. She lives out of town. And then my older sister, it's, you know, we just, you would think the way we grew up and how we were there, but we're like four different people now. What was your parents' relationship? Abusive, um, chaotic. It was just up and down of just the constant fighting. And that's why we ran, my mother would take us to different shelters because of the abuse, you know, they were, you know, she was a fighter. She would fight back and everything, but I would just have to say what kind of just really broke everything. Oh Lord. He, my father came over and she had locked him out and he was trying to get in. And the weird, I don't understand the weird thing about the house we had, the keyhole was in the doorknob. I don't understand where we found that kind of, where she found that kind of door at, but she bent down to look in the, the keyhole of the door and he kicked the door in and literally it went into her eye and like, you know, mashed it in and everything. And so we was all right there and we saw it literally was like hanging down like that. And pretty much after that, she separated from him for years. We didn't see him for years. And now they're married. Now? <laughs> yeah, they're married, but um, they haven't been together in five years. Like, they got married. It was, like, off and on. Off the, she'd been with him since she was 19 and he was 21. And oh, so now wow. it was, like, later on, through all that, years later, they end up getting married, but they're not together anymore. They're, they're, they're still married, but they're not separated. So it was just, like, it's a deep, deep trauma bond, like, like yes. between them and everything. But... He really, you know, he was abusive and she, she was too. That's all we saw. That's all I knew growing up was abuse. And that's why I thought it was normal. You know, we're not fighting and we're not arguing. We're not getting into it. And this is boring. I, I had that dysfunction. Like, you're supposed to be hitting me. We're supposed to be fighting. And it was like, no. Mm -hmm. Your dad, so he was in and out of the house. Tell us more about him. Was Did he have his own substance abuse issues? Mm -hmm. Was he abusive to the children as well as your mother? No, he never He never abused us or anything. He was just, you know, we, we did not have a relationship. It was more like he would go to work, come home. He would be in the room looking at TV, do the same thing. We never had a relationship. We wasn't daddy's little girls in a sense. You know how it is we, at all. He didn't acknowledge us at all while we were there. Now, he did have a substance abuse problem, but he was different from my mom. His was, he paid the bills first, and then he would get high, but my mother was the opposite. Like, she's going to get high first and then try to figure out, well, how I'm going to pay my bills. So when he was there, we would have lights, and we would have water, and we would have things because he paid it, but when he wasn't there, we would suffer and go without and, you know, have to get up at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning and go outside and fill a water jug up just to take a bath, just to brush your teeth, just to do all that. And, you know, in the dark and then still have to go to school. Mm. Yeah, we still went to school and everything. Me and two of my sisters, we did not graduate. We all, we dropped out. I only had one sister who graduated high school. But I did go back. I went to job for her and I got my high school diploma from there. And, you know, went on to get, but yeah, I dropped out at 16. I just, I didn't, I didn't want to be in school, but I didn't want to be at that house anymore, period. Were there any adults 
adults in the school or anybody that knew what was going on? We never shared nothing because it was like, we got to protect our mom. I want to protect her, even though she was just doing the absolute most, you know, to traumatize us in a sense, because like she was kidnapped twice. And like she was gone for weeks at a time. We didn't know where she was. We didn't know what to do or who to reach out to. And then the very last time that she was kidnapped, she got away from the person, jumped out of the car on the interstate, made her way back to the house. And we was getting ready to go to school. And when we opened the door, she laying right there on the porch, completely covered with blood. She had mm-hmm. completely messed her whole body up and she did not want to go to the hospital. We had to take her in the house and clean her blood and nurse her wounds and put her in the bed. And I think I was in like the seventh grade. It was all that, but we saw everything, me and my sister. So, and it's it's funny because they, it's like they get mad at me, but they talk to their children the way my mother talked to us growing up, that we was nothing and we was bees and we was Asian, we this and we was that. And they talk, and I don't talk to my children that way. So they look at me like I'm weird. Because I, cause I couldn't see myself calling my seven-year-old a bee. Like, I couldn't see myself, you know, doing that to my children, knowing how it made me feel and everything. So we, we start, but I can tell you this, though. Like, I have forgiven my mother for everything because I had to learn her story. And her story of abuse and, you know, the sexual abuse that she endured. Because, you know, she was molested by her dad and her brothers. So she had a lot of pain and a lot of trauma that she just masked with drugs. And she didn't know how to be a mother. And so once I learned her story as a woman, I was able to say, okay, let let me work through these feelings that I have and forgive her and and just move forward. We was in Birmingham when I was seven, because that's when my attack happened, when I was seven. So we was in Birmingham then. Mm -hmm. Where were you all staying at that time? We the once we left the shelter, they have provided us with public housing. Like once you get done with the program, they help you find public housing. So we end up moving to you know like up the projects. And it was you and your three sisters. Did your dad come back at that time when you were around seven or not yet? No, he didn't know where we was. That was during the time where everyone thought we were dead. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So she had told everyone that she killed us. A whole year that my grandmother, they thought that we were dead. And it wasn't until my uncle, he's passed away now. He saw my sister at like the bus stop or something. And he just was crying because they thought we were dead. You know, she literally told them that she killed us and that she didn't want to be a mother anymore and left. And no one knew where she was or anything. So when he saw my sister, he reached out to her, you know, and told her who she was. And actually it was him that took us away from wow. her and took us back to our grandmother, which brought us back to Mobile. Like, I, I didn't find out all this until like years later. And I was just like, but no one called the police? No one was like. You didn't even know you were missing. No, right. at all, period. We just, I was wondering like, we don't hear from grandmom anymore. And then she would never answer, you know, it would just always get blown off. And I would just felt like, well, okay, maybe they don't care about us. I was happy to go back with my grandmother. I was so happy to go back there because we just went through so much there. And honest to God, she wouldn't have came back to Mobile. She probably would have still been in Birmingham. She robbed a police officer and he was like a crooked cop. And so he was looking for her to kill her. And that's the only reason why she left Birmingham, that she came back to Mobile. Other than that, she probably still would have been there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, got some stories. But I know you had asked about seven, but I was I was sexually attacked at when I was seven. 
I had um and that that caused a lot of trauma for years inside of my body when it came to men in general. But you know, my sisters, they were being molested by her boyfriend. He was a drug dealer at the time. She knew what was going on, my mother, but she she didn't care. So I never shared my what happened to me because I saw that she didn't care, you know, what they what was going on. We were supposed to wait for each other for school, but I didn't know where they was. So I knew how to get home. So I just began to walk home because the school wasn't that far, you know? And as I was walking, like a group of, of, of high school boys, they just appeared out of nowhere and they grabbed me and they dragged me into the woods and they ripped, I mean, I'm seven now, I'm seven. And they just began to just rip all my clothes off me and they proceeded Thank God no one, they, they, they did not rape me and everything, but they, you know, it was getting ready to and everything. And this man, I have to say he had to be an angel. He just appeared out of nowhere and he literally fought them off of me. He had, he had like a big stick. He was hitting him and like, you know, of course they all ran off and he just like put his jacket around me and he just helped me home, you know, helped me to my house. And I went inside and I just... I just went upstairs and took a bath and cried. And then after that, my sister and them came home from school and no one ever said like, well, where was you or what happened? I never told anyone. It, it, it wasn't until about two years ago that I finally told my mother what happened to me. She never knew. And so with me having that trauma inside of me, it made me, it changed my outlook on men. It, you know, it made me feel like I'm not going to let you control me. I'm going to control you when it comes to in a sexual aspect because I felt like they took that from me. So I'm going to take it from you and I'm going to be the best you ever had in this situation, but you're never going to be able to get close to me and get in because I have this, this wall up. And it was even like with my, the fathers of my children, you know, they would be like, it's almost like you turn into a different person in the, the bedroom in a sense, but it was just that control nature. Like, no, I'm going to control this. And so I had to work through all of that yeah. in therapy because that trauma was deep up inside of me. It was very deep. But I, I've always been a loner in a sense, you know, never really having a lot of girlfriends, girlfriends to hang out with. This was always me. And so when we moved back with my grandmother, you know, she really couldn't take care of four girls. You know, she was of older age. She had already spent most of her life trying to help my mother with her addiction. And now here she is. She has her children and everything. And so they split us up. Two of us stayed with my grandmother. Two of us went with my aunt. We just kind of like went through. We had to wear like hand-me-down clothes because she worked at like a place that gave homeless people clothes. And so we had to get clothes from there and shoes from there and everything. And so we was with her for a couple of years before my mom, you know, came back. So I, I, you know, I experienced bullying, you know, in middle school and everything. And then when I got to high school, it was just like my mom was back and we had that freedom again because my grandmother was very you know, very <laughs> strict and everything. So we couldn't do nothing or go nowhere. But when my mom came back, of course, she was still on drugs, but we just had that freedom. So once high school came and everything, just, you know, that's when the promiscuous came in. I became very promiscuous as a child. I lost my virginity at 15 and everything. And it just went on, you know, I was just trying to find love through me and through sex. And, a, you know, in a sense, you kind of understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Just trying to find it that way. And that's what led me to the, the first abusive, like, abusive relationship that I have just 16. We was in Job Corps. I left home. I dropped out of school, left home, went to Job Corps, met him. 
And, you know, it just started little things at first of the controlling and this and that. And then he ended up pushing me through a glass window. And so we, um, it was on camera because I denied. I was like, no, I tripped and failed like that. He didn't push me. And it was like, we saw it on camera. And so they, uh, they sent both of us home. They expelled both of us. And I was still, he lived in Louisiana and I went back to Mobile, but I was still trying to get to him because, you know, we had that trauma bonded for him. But that was my first abusive During all these traumas, who did you have to talk to, to tell? I came from a family where you don't share what's going on. You don't talk about it. You don't address it. You don't deal with it. You sure enough don't go to therapy because Black people don't go to therapy. That was like the whole thing growing up. So I just had to, I kept it all inside for years and it just bubbled up in different ways. Now, when we transition from high school to adulthood, where were you in life at this time? No, I was actually in Mississippi. I went back to Job Corps for the second time. Um, I was 18, and that's where I met my son's dad. He was there. He was actually transitioning out, but I was coming in, and he just stayed on as we began our relationship. Me and him were together from like 18, and then we left. We left Job Corps together. And he was just like a breath of fresh air. I had never, you know, like been with a man with him before. He he wasn't abusive or anything. He bought me flowers every day. He brought me food every day. He was just like, he was like a wonderful boyfriend. I had never experienced that before. So we left Job Corps together. We got an apartment in Mississippi. And then I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> and then we, you know, we're living with someone. That's when you truly see like, all that so he wasn't abusive but he was clingy he was suffocating because I was his first girlfriend first relationship first person he had ever been with like wow I was just first everything so he was on me like every move I make (laughs) and I was like I feel suffocating very suffocating like I had a job I was working overnight he would come sit in the parking lot and sleep in the car until I got out. And I was like, wow. Can you go home? Like, why are you at him? <laughs> you know, I was he older than you at that time? No, or? actually, I'm, I was like a year older. I ended things with my high school sweetheart. And then the next day I got into a relationship with him. So I wasn't in love with him. He was just there. So it took me a time. And I said I would never do anyone like that again because yeah. I knew he was in love with me. But I was still in love with my ex. And so I would be at work talking to my ex on the phone <laughs> while he was out in the car sleep. And I was like, look, karma is something serious. I'm going to tell you right now it is. But we, we eventually left and came back to Mobile. So we had to move in with like, we moved in with my grandmother, but she wasn't comfortable with that. And then my mom was like, well, you can come here, but you got to pay this bill, that bill, that bill. And it was just a whole bunch of trauma. Then I got pregnant. I found out I was pregnant at 19. And once I became pregnant, that's when he changed. Now, he was never physical abusive. He was verbal. He was very verbal, very emotional abuse. It's like once I got pregnant, the, I felt like the real him came out, you know, in a sense. And so even though we, I got pregnant, I had the baby. We had to move in with a friend girl of mine. She let us stay with her. And then we eventually got our own place. And it was just downhill from there. Everything changed. And it could change completely. And so we, when we got married... About a month into the marriage, he left. He was gone for like three months. And then he came back and he was like, I want to work on the marriage. I want to do it. So we worked on it. And then it wasn't even a month later, he was gone again. He So he left me and, me and our son. 
he pretty much abandoned us because I got kicked out of my apartment. He came up to my job and got me fired from my job. And so me and my son were homeless for a minute. We were staying up and we were living in the car. He had moved on to, you know, someone else, to, the same girl that he's with now that he's married to, you know, that's who he had left our marriage for. So, you know, he was gone on with her and here me and my son is, we're living up in the car with nowhere to go because I, I you know what I'm saying, they put us out. And it, my mom, I did not want to go back there, but she was like, you could come back here. And I was like, no, I did not want to go back there, yeah. but she had, a, you know, open rooms. I was with her for about six, seven months until I was able to get my own place. And so just trying to deal with a divorce coming, I got this baby, I'm going through uh-huh. all this stuff. And so this we, was at age 19. Yeah. From like 19, I had, I had uh-huh. my son at 20. And then me and him got married around like 21. So between 21 and 23, this is when I'm going through all this. He, he really did a lot of underhanded, you know, abusive things toward me and my son that was just really uncalled for yeah. and, and everything. So when I got my own place, like I didn't see him for a whole year. Like that, I had to legally hire a lawyer to find him so we can get a divorce. And the whole time he was living around the corner from me. The whole year, no way. and I never, I never saw him at all. But the weird thing about it was, he's like, I saw you all the time. I never saw him, <laughs> never. And once we, you know, once we got everything settled, and we got a divorce and and whatnot, you know. So when we <laughs> moving, I was like, I'm done. I ain't getting divorced. I'm, I'm not getting married again. And that's when I met my daughter's father. That's the reason why I'm doing this whole thing now that relationship with him that was the most abusive relationship I've ever had I didn't have anything I was so broken I was so hurt and then you know I was a stay-at-home mom because that's what he wanted I want to stay at home wife and so he took care of everything and so when he left I didn't know how to do anything I didn't know how to go pay bills I didn't know how to do I, I, it was like I was just relearning it, everything about life all over again because I had depended on him to right. everything I was totally dependent on him and he knew that but once I did get my own place and got me a job and got everything you know I was starting to feel some sense of you know relief and responsibility but it was still hard because I wasn't getting any type of help you know from him until we went through the courts what were your family dynamics at this time where your family lived in a different state how were your sisters were you guys talking at that time um no not really we were all in the same state and so the the thing about it was like he he came and stole my car in the middle of the night because he was like him and his girlfriend didn't have a car they need a way to get around and I was like well me, what about me and your son mm-hmm. and my sister and them they they laughed like I would have to get up and I would have to beg someone to take my son to school and I would have to go stand on the corner to catch the bus and they would a lot of times my sister and them would ride right by me and when he off me a ride. Yeah. Uh, they would laugh and say, oh, we saw, um, you know, your ex-husband, his new girlfriend in your car. And so, like, that's the, the dynamic that I had got during that time right there. So, are the other sisters closer to each yeah. other? Mm-hmm. And are you the out- I'm the outsider. I'm the outside, okay. yeah. And even, you know, they, they, they all go out. They all go do things. They're, you know, they're more closer. So I've always just been, like, the black sheep. Let's catch up on this guy your daughter's father you knew him in high school he played football Mm -hmm. I want to know where you saw him for the first time after so long right we actually was working at the same place I had got hired and he was already working there 
And so when he approached me, you know, he was like, don't I know you from somewhere? And I was like, I think we went to school together. And, you know, I just kind of left it at that. So for a whole month, he just like chased me down, ran behind me like, won't you give me a chance? I mean, in hindsight, I felt like my spirit was running from him. Like, hey, because <laughs> I would not. I would not get him the time of day. I was like, what is, I don't know what it is about him. And then one day I was like, eh, let me just see what he was like. And so I, you know, he was like, hey, can we just maybe like go out and get to know each other? And we went out and he came to my house and he never left. Latched on to him and he didn't leave. And yeah. so we continued working together up until he got fired. Then he went on and got another job and but then by seven months of the relationship, I got pregnant with our daughter. He never showed any signs at first. He never showed me anything. And so the, the first encounter with abuse that he gave me, my daughter was like four months. And we went to church. We were going to church together and everything. So I was like, ooh, this is a fresh start. This is new. And I said something in church. I don't remember what I said to him, but he held on to it. it whatever it did, it pissed him off. And when we got home and I, and I set the baby down and when I turned around, he punched me and knocked me to the floor. I can't quite remember, but I know he was like, cause you said this in church. And I was like, and it stunned me and my son saw it. And you know, he, I told my son to go upstairs and everything. And he helped me up and he was like, you know, just remember you can't say such and such as well to me. And then he's like, I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. And it was in that split moment right there. And I was like, Okay, what do I do? This never happened before. I'm just give him another chance. He said it'll never happen again. It won't ever happen again. And after that, it may have been about two weeks later when it happened again. And from those two weeks, after those two weeks, for four years, it was constant abuse. Oh it was, I, it's graphic in the nature. So is that okay? I always ask beforehand, you know, because mm -hmm. I don't, I'm, I don't know the listening audience in a sense, but it was very graphic to the point of like punching me, kicking me. I've been kicked in the head, kicked in the face, thrown through walls. Um, he was he um he has raped me countless of times, sexual abuse. He used to lock me in closets for hours at a time. He would, you know, beat me with belts, he would put knives to my throat, he would drag me through the house by my hair. Um, you know, like he would never damage my face because I had to work. He didn't work. I'm going to work every day. I went to work like four weeks after I had our daughter because he, I can't find a job. He was, he was watching my kids for me. And I just remember that, you know, he would fight me a lot of times on the way to work. I just, I remember one time we was heading there and it's funny because every time I pass by this church to this day, I just get a chill, but we pulled over and he just, you know, he, he, he beat me really bad up in that car. And I got out the car and he was throwing me over the car and people was actually driving oh by God. me and no one stopped to help. No one did anything at all, period. And so he just, he would leave and he would go to his other, um, the other mother of his child. And he would abuse her too because uh, he broke her jaw. He, he broke her nose. Like, yeah, but she would fight back. That was my only, I would never fight him back. I was terrified. I was scared. I was terrified. He has knocked me unconscious plenty of times. And then he would call his mom and his mom would come down there and clean, and, you know, and like help me or uh, put me in the bed or, you know, just try to set the situation up. If something dire, you know, like if he maybe hit the wrong spot or something, they would try to come clean it up for him because oh his mother was his biggest like advocate and everything.
she just was one of those mothers right there who allowed, you know, just her thing was stop making him mad. If you stop making him mad, he won't do that to you. Oh, yeah. You know, she just, it, it, it was a really dark time. And then he would say, I'm going to kill myself. And he would slit his wrist. And, you know, I'm, I'm dying. Can't you see I'm dying? Can't be? I mean, it was, it was so oh traumatic. God. And then when he would be gone, it would be like I could breathe. Mm. I could breathe. But then I would let him come back, you know, because after she would dog him out, he would run back to me and then take it out on me. He had another baby while we was together. I took him back. He married the other baby mama. I took him back. Oh, yeah. He mm. had completely my mental, my mental state was gone at that time right there. So my daughter, her and her sister, they made about a year apart from each other and everything. And so he he would always go back and forth for the four years between me and her and everything. And it was just like <laughs> it was it was so rough because I am. I was literally made by 90 pounds. I, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was, I was, it was hard. Uh, I was 20 from 24. I met him at 20. Uh, yeah, by 24, I met him. So for four years, um, that's what I, you know, in, endured with him. Just, you know, and, you know, the, the sexual aspect of it and everything. He, he had a high, like every time after he would, would jump on me, he wanted to have sex. That power, that control right there. And I'm looking like, my face look at it what turns you on about that but it, it, it's something did so a lot of time it was a lot of forceful you know um sex and everything so I'm my son did not want to be there you know he did not want to be there and I asked my son the other day do he remember anything about that time and he was like I don't he's like I really don't I just know I don't want to be there so and then my other baby she was like nine she was yeah she was like eight nine months no, by oh, two. I'm sorry. She was by two when I left. He's a baby. But yeah. He um he almost my final breaking point was I was cleaning and I was holding her. And I think I didn't answer him or something. And he came in there with a broom. And if I hadn't turned, he would have hit my baby in the face with the broom. And he didn't care. He didn't even care that he said he hit his own daughter in the face with a broom. And look, when I turned, it hit me. So it didn't hit her. Oh my God. And that was just. And he noticed that it. Was, he noticed that, that it almost hit the baby. Yeah, he did. And he, he was like, well, put her down then. You know, that was his thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, mm -hmm. at that point, after that moment right there, because like my, I never called the police on him. And, you know, that was always a regret of mine. I didn't call the police. I, it wasn't a paper trail in a sense where like if some tragic would have happened, no one would have ever known. The only person that called the police was my neighbors. They would call. And then when the, the police would get there, I would lie and say nothing would happen. And years later, you know, kind of just um trying to go, the same neighbor, the girl who would call the police, she ended up losing her life in domestic violence. Yeah, just last year, her husband shot her 10 times and shot their daughter in the head, but the daughter didn't die. She died though. And then three days later, he killed himself. And so when I was, I went to her funeral and I had realized I never thanked her and her mom because a lot of times by them calling the police is what got him up off of me or got him from fighting me. And I, I just, I had never thanked him. And I thanked her that day. And unfortunately, even though it was due to that kind of circumstance that her daughter lost her life, you know, I look back as if to how they helped me. Mm -hmm. even in that exactly situation right. and so 
he um I started reaching out to the Penelope house, the the place here, and I started getting in counseling and I started making my exit plan to get away from him to leave because he would not leave my house. He would tell me, oh, I'm going to let the, the, the landlord people know I'm living here. So you and your children are going to be evicted and I can go back and live with my mother. And so he would hold that over my head. And I was like, well, you know what? If you're not going to go, I'm going to go. You can't stay here without me. You don't have a job. You can't mm-hmm. pay these bills. So I sent my son away for the summer to with, with my baby sister who lived out of town because he, you know, he didn't want to be there anyway. And so she was like, I'll take him. Yeah, he can come down here with my kids. You know, they didn't know what was going on. Right. And it was just me and my baby girl. And that's when I made my plan to get out. And that was the night he almost killed me. Can I know a little more description of this guy? Can we call him John? John for Doe. This podcast. Yeah, we can call him John. John is but five phone. He ain't tall at all. <laughs> but he's very strong. He was he was very athletic, very into weightlifting, very strong. John had a cocaine problem that I did not know about until after we broke up. Powder. I've never seen him argue or fight with a man. It's always women. Every woman that he's been with after me have called it worse. He's still abusing women to this day, to this very day. It's like he had two different personalities. You know, people see one way and then he he's another way behind closed doors. You know, he's he's a classic narcissist. I feel like he's a sociopath, be honest with you. My daughter, him and my daughter are twins. It's it, it's scary sometimes. And I'd be like, what did I do? <laughs> like, what can she look? I mean, I'm gonna have to I'm, I'm gonna send you guys a picture. I'm gonna inbox you guys a picture. You're not even gonna believe him, but she looked just like him. But she's nothing like him. You know, she's the she's the better version. She's so sweet and she's so kind and she's so nice. And I was like, how did you come from this man right here? Oh. But I think it's everything I instilled in her. But how did he treat his mother? I know you said she was yes. his cleanup guy. Was he kind to her? Very disrespectful. Very. Okay. He have no, he have no respect for women. In his mind, you're supposed to do what I say, when I say, and how I say it, because that's how his mom is. She do whatever he say. I mean, times when we were together, excuse me, she have not paid her bills to give him money to pay my bills. Yeah. But she wow. basically in hindsight, she never let him fall as a man to learn how to get back up because she's gonna be right there. Now he he jumped on me and his sister in my house. He beat both of us up one day and she called the police, his sister. And his mom came down there before the police got there, took him and hid him for about a month or two. And then she was like, how could you call the police on your own brother? Where was his father? Did he have a father that was around? No, he never had a relationship with his dad. His, once, once his mom and dad separated and said, that was it. I mean, his dad lived with his mom up until the day she died. And now he he lived with his mom. What did you do that made him get mad? What kind of abuser was he? The way you responded? Was he the jealous type? Maybe got mad at how you looked at others? It was all that. He would always say like, I'm too friendly, you know? And he was like, I look too, I'm, I'm, I'm too pretty in a sense. You know what I'm saying? I see men looking at you and everything. And then if you didn't do what he said, if you know, if you didn't answer quick enough, if you, you know what I'm saying, when he do this, it made you supposed to jump when he say how high and all that. So he was one of those type right there because that's how his mom, Trishy gave him whatever he wanted. So he felt like every woman 
is supposed to. You answer me when I say something. You do what I say. You do this, you do that. So um, he was like that. So I would hide my body. I wouldn't want to look any kind of way. So when we would go out, wouldn't no one look at me or anything. But in hindsight, like, I'm not an ugly woman. So it's just like, hey, they're, they're going to look. You Did create he- your exit plan prior to the night that he almost yes. took your life? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're creating your exit plan. You're getting prepared. You're getting prepared financially. Yes, because um, I, I was the only one making money. I, I, I started moving money into another account because I had no idea. Honestly, looking back now, I didn't know where I was going to go. I just know that I was going to get my baby out of there and we were going to leave and just disappear. And he was not going to know where we was at all, period. And I had talked about it with my therapist when I was going to see her. I had stopped sleeping with him. I had started sleeping downstairs in my house now. I'm sleeping downstairs. And he was up there and he just couldn't emotionally. I just detached completely. Yeah. And I was like, I have to do it this way. I got to get out of here. And so just, you know, the night in question, if I can go there and share what happened, I was asleep downstairs, me and my daughter. And he woke up, you know, in a fit of rage. He woke up and it was, of course, like, are you cheating on me? I know you're doing this. Why are you sleeping downstairs and all this? And I was like, I got to go to work tomorrow. I'm like, please just leave me alone. I just want to go to sleep. And he was just in a rage. And at that time, I think he may have been high because he used to sleep all day and be up all night and everything. So I think at hindsight, he was high. But I remember he just, he, he, he grabbed me off the couch by my hair dragged me off the couch he was just he was punching me and hitting me calling me all kind of names and everything like that and I was bleeding from my mouth and I was just you know I was just I was like uh-uh I just grabbed my daughter I ran out the house and when I ran out of the house I fell outside and she just kind of like rolled out my arms a little bit and everything and he came out the house like you dropped my baby on the ground and he had some keys in his hand he had my key and he just hit me in my head and I just felt blood just running down my face and like I still have the scar to this day oh it sits God. right here the scar and I just I panic and I free and I just ran at that time where I lived that it was a huge field and my mother lived through the field on the other side so we stayed by each other and I just I ran I left my baby I took off running and he came behind me and when he, cause by I said he was very athletic, he played football, you know, so he was all that. And he just ran behind me and he tagged me up. I hit my head, bam, knocked myself out. And he left me laying right there in the field, you know, bleeding from my head, dying. He left me there. And, you know, I always, I think when I think about that time, while I was unconscious, God showed me my funeral. I saw my funeral. I saw myself in the casket. I saw my children at the time, the two I had sitting on the front row. And I've just heard God clearly tell me, if you don't, if you don't go now, I'm showing you what's going to happen. I'm showing you what's going to happen. And so now when I woke up, I was in my house. I was in my bed. And I don't know how I got there. And it, even, even to this day, he would always say, I never came back to get you. When I left, I got out of and I got out of there. I have no idea. But when I woke up, I was in my bed. I know it was just the grace of God in a sense, but when I woke up, I was like, you got to go. It was like all the fear was gone. And of course, you know, it was, I'm sorry. It would never happen again. I called his mother and I said, if you don't come get your son, then you're going to be picking out a black dress for him. He got to go. He got to get up out of here. Then, then he tried to turn violent 
in a sense when he saw I was serious, but his mom came on and got him. And when he left, I think I cried about two, three hours. And I was like, God, if you help me get through this, I would never go back. I would never look back. I won't even deal with him. And he did. And it'll be 11 years this year in July since I left. You know, unfortunately, he's still out there doing the same thing. And, you know, I, I, I called a lot of hell from his family and everything. They was like, you're lying and he don't do that. And when the other women started coming forth and everything, but I, I didn't have to deal with the stalking or I didn't have to deal with all that because once he left by two weeks later, he was already with another woman living with her. So I did. Yeah. So I did not have to worry about that looming. You know how some women deal with that after they leave. Oh, I didn't have God. to. So I was really able to kind of jump onto my healing. We actually wanted to transition and ask you a little bit okay. about the life afterwards that and of course, that led you to your program and stuff like that. So, okay, sure, um, sure. I, it was dark. It was very dark. I would not lie to you. I spent a lot of times in the bathroom in the dark on the floor, just crying and crying, you know, just trying to feel like, who am I now? Because he had beat me down so bad. I didn't even know who I was anymore. Okay. I didn't have anyone to share with. Everyone left who was supposed to be a friend. They was like, I just can't take you know what you allow him to do so they turn it back on me and everything so it was just I, I it was a dark time and then I didn't I didn't start doing my actual speaking it was I do little stories here and there but I didn't want to do it I didn't want to share it I didn't want to do any of that I was like I'm done with this I don't want to do it but it kept coming to me and so when I got prophesized about what I'm doing now I was like no that ain't me but it was everything that the lady said. She was like, I'll be sharing my story. I'm going to write a book, which I am oh, currently God. writing my book now. And she was like, you know, you're going to just be doing speaking engagement. She gave me the name of my nonprofit that I have now. And she was like, this is what God showed me that you're going to do. And I got so much backlash. Everyone was like, why are you doing this? Why? And from his side and my side. And I was like, this is my ministry. I have to be obedient to what God tells me to do. So how can I help someone? If I'm listening to what you're saying, you're still locked up in your trauma. I'm out of mind so I can share what I went through. What was the direction that your life was going in that led you to the, the prophecy and the ministry? What were you doing with yourself? I was just working. And, you know, by that time I had my, my third child and everything and that relationship had ended. And so I was just kind of like working, trying to see where is my life going? What am I supposed to be doing? But it, it always would be in the back of my mind when I share my story, when I share my journey, but I'd be like, nah, you know, that's maybe that's maybe it was just that time right there. And when she spoke all that to me, it just lit a fire. Okay. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Because everything she said, it was like to the team. You know, even with the name, she was like, I saw it on the door, on the building. Like, you're going to have a building. You're going to have all this. And I was like, okay, then. I'm going to do, like, okay. do it. And, you know, yeah. but the nonprofit is still fairly new. I'm working out of my house and everything. But, you know, I have, you know, been able to connect a lot of, you know, different women with different, you know, with different counselors and this and this and that. So, you know, I, I always see Bob say, how can you tell it? And it don't like affect you in a sense. It's because I, I did a lot of trauma work. I did a lot of healing. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't pretty. And that's what I, I share with the women who come through my program. Like healing is not pretty. You know, it's not just you meditating by the, the, the peaceful waters. No, it's a lot. I had to go back to my childhood and deal with things from there that led me to, you know, keep picking the same type of men 
and then I almost ended up losing my life. So it's not pretty. And even after he left, it still wasn't pretty because I still was in um like, should I let him come back? Should I, let him? I, I went through that a lot, especially when I saw he had moved on and it seemed like they was just doing wonderful and this and that. And all along, he was beating her too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and woman after woman after woman. So like, I went through all of that. You're on your journey of healing, okay. of rebirth. Mm-hmm. You decide to go pursue your education. My children, actually. My first degree was paralegal. I became a paralegal, but I could not find a job in that. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to do criminal justice. You know, I remember when I did all that research, when I got the lawyer to try to find my ex-husband, I was like, I can do this. I, I like the law, so I like the legal side. And so I ended up going back. I got my bachelor's. And then I said, you know what? The job I was trying to go for, they was like, we, 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 we can't accept the school you was at. You're going to have to go back to either another school. It was some kind of law here in Alabama. They didn't accept the accreditation. So that's what led me to go back to get my master's degree. And yeah. it was just also another need in me to fulfill, you know, just uh, because to be honest with you, God ain't never tell me to go back and get these degrees. He didn't tell me to go to school to get them. I did because I guess I was trying to show my family in a sense, like, I'm somebody too, and I, I hear in that, but I'm grateful that I have them. And I'm going to send you guys my graduation pictures and stuff. Yeah. Since, you, know, you guys are my buddies now. You're my buddies and so, But <laughs> my children really motivated me to go back to school. And, you know, it just all really kind of, you know, compounds with the, with the work I'm doing, you know, the degree I have. And everything. So I graduated in 2020 with my master's degree and everything. I'm done. I'm not going back to get a doctor. I was like, uh-uh, I'm done. I'm done. If I never have to write another paper a day in my life, I'm done. And, you know, in the midst of COVID and all that going on, being able to graduate. And I really started to take what the lady said seriously because I, I kind of ran from the prophecy. I won't lie. I was like, I'm, I'm not doing this. I was like, it's not me. No one wants to hear what I have to say. No one cares about what I went through over 10 years ago. No one cares. But it just kept, it would not leave my spirit. So I was like, okay. I began, you know, trying to reach out to different people. How can I get a nonprofit starting? And my whole main goal of my nonprofit is I want to try to end domestic violence in a sense. You know, I, I saw someone was saying like, don't just start a nonprofit. If you do, Try to end the cause that you're starting a nonprofit for. And I know in a sense you can't control what someone else doing, but if I can help these women get therapy and get counseling and get healed and get on their journey, then they won't ever, you know, settle for the likes of that type of man ever, ever again. They'll know the signs, they'll know everything, and they'll keep moving forward. And they won't get involved with men like that and become another statistic. I when once I did get started and shows were coming together and things were opening up for me, you know, when 2021 came, um, God was like, you need to sit down because you still have a lot of things that, you know, you got to heal from it. You have to be ready because I would find myself after I do a show. It was almost like I was reliving everything that happened. I, I, would, I would have flashes. It's like I would go back. I was having dreams. I was getting depressed. And I was like, well, wait a minute, this has been over 10 years ago. Wow. And so I had to wow. not reheal in a sense, but it was a lot of stuff that I kind of just like, oh, I healed, but I buried it. Yeah. I buried it. So I went into in, intense mental health trauma counseling and just, you know, dealing with that. And, you know, and, and God, of course, you know, my, my spiritual walk with him because I'm a woman of God and a woman of faith. And, everything. and it just, he healed me. 
And I realized now when he was like, because where I'm going to send you and where you're going, you got to be ready. Because it's going to be women that was worse off than, you know, what you dealt with and you have to be ready for it. And so now when I share my journey and share my story, I know how to go get, you know, pour back into myself since I didn't pour so much out. So whenever I do do shows, I don't ever do them back to back to back. I have time in between where I can get in the presence of God, get renewed, get restored, you know, get, you know, any type of healing that maybe I don't know, you know, just get back in his presence so I can pour out again. And so that's pretty much where I'm at now with the birth of my baby. She's still a baby. Still a She's baby. still a baby. Help me help you and mm-hmm. everything. But I'm grateful for the, you know, the couple of women I have helped. And it's a lot of women that I talk to that hasn't came through. And I always tell people, you don't have to come through my nonprofit. I, I can just, I can talk to you. I can listen. I can be an ear because mm-hmm. a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of women aren't ready. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Help me help you. Yeah. What is your big picture for help me help you? Wow. Overall, you know, think looking back now and thinking, of, I really would like to open um, shelters of all across the United States because it's so much domestic violence out there. There's so much shame behind it. I really would like to have different places where these women can come and they can get counseling and they can get the resources that they need to, you know, because it is life after domestic violence. I tell everybody that who come work with me and they'd be like, oh, my life is over because I was one of those women. My life is over. Where am I going? But it's not. It's, it, it, it's true. And if you can share your story, if you want to, because that may not be everybody, pal, you mm-hmm. know, to share their story right. and everything. But that's my overall goal. I have it written down, you know what I'm saying, when I say my affirmation, my spirit thing, but I really yes. would like to be able to open up some type of shelter this is a random question but do some okay. women have ever feel suicidal after like a situation of domestic violence where they left the person yes especially if you were totally dependent on that person like if they did if they made the money they paid the bills and you had absolutely nothing you're like okay what i'm do now but unfortunately in my case i made the money i did everything so i i wasn't necessarily suicidal okay you know per se. i was just really depressed and I was really just, you know, I had fell into just that dark place because I was like, well, he ain't fighting her. And how come he did that? And he like, he living this perfect life over here. So I was focusing on him and not me. And the podcast, My Journey Within. That's my, that, that's my other baby. She, she better be two in March. <laughs> she better be two in March. But I, I started that on my mom's birthday, uh, March 27, 2020. My job had shut down due to COVID. Of course, they was like, we'll be back in like two weeks. You know, all this going to be over with. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I had been listening to podcasts for like six months. And I was like, what? I said, I could do that. I, I have a lot to share. And I would just begin like, all right, Holy Spirit, what name? Because I, I asked Holy Spirit about everything. Every, you know, I acknowledge him in every way. And he gave me the name. And I just began like, I can... I can do that. And so I, I didn't do it last year. And that hurt me because I wanted to do it so bad last year, but I had to be obedient. I think I may have did two episodes. I did one, which was celebrating my 10 years of being a survivor. And then I did one at the end of the year with like, you guys, I'll be back in 2022 and everything. And what amazed me, people were still listening. I had to record in over a year and, you know, through the app, they can tell you, they was like listening. I was like, wow. these people don't even know me. They don't even know, but they were still listening. Even after me and having been there for a year, they were still listening. So I 
when I took that time off, I have shows now that I think I have shows up until maybe like the summer of me to record. I did a lot of research. Hey. I have a lot of great topics that, that wow. come up and speak of. And so that's my baby. <laughs> that's my baby. We're excited to hear your yes. content Please. and everything you have. Well, you're making your mark on this earth. Thank I think everything that you're doing is, you know, amazing. And I, I like what you said about you have to be obedient and you have to be ready. You know, I, I always say, I feel like everything I endured, I was the one put here to break, you know, the generational curse and, and, and the bloodline. I told my kids, we start on a whole new, whole new bloodline, whole yeah. new generation. We're going to have generational blessings. There's no more yeah. curses. And yes. everything, you know, I'm showing them and instilling in them now things that I never knew at their age. Like I, I did them a self-development journal for this year where it's 365 questions they have to answer every day just to help them know who they are, know who God is, their, their passion, their purpose. Like I did it for all three of my children. And I was mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm going to start you off on the right journey. Now, when you become an adult. I can't say nothing about it, but I guarantee you, I put that train up in you. So. Yes. Any final thoughts, any advice that you have for the women that, well, you're helping with your nonprofit and your podcast? And I always bring it back to love because it took me the 37 years that I've been here on this earth to finally know who I am and to love myself. And I want these women to focus on you because after you get out of those type of relationships, it's easy to, you know, get into another relationship or it's easy to fall into a pattern. But if you really want to be healed, it's good to focus on yourself. It's good. You know, they're men, they're not going anywhere. I promise you they're not, they're not going anywhere at all. But when, when you heal and when you get whole and restored, you know, the right man will come along if you choose to. So I, I'm big on self-love. I'm big on knowing who you are. I'm big on finding what exactly you were put here to do because we all were put mm -hmm. here for a purpose. We're all here for a reason and everything. And my reason may be different from yours, but in some kind of way, it's all going to connect and work together when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. So that's like my whole, whole thing, even with the nonprofit, is let's get this healing. Let's find out who you are. Let's focus on you. Let's learn how to love you and everything so you will never have to deal with this again whether you even get into a relationship or not you'll never you know you'll be complete and content within yourself so that's always my advice and I always say it on my podcast is I have this little quote and it says love yourself enough so that when love shows up it won't be a stranger to you and I got that from Jennifer Lewis she was on the breakfast club and she said out her book and I was like oh I love that and I wrote it down <laughs> and I pretty much just I love it for anyone that's listening that may need help now they may need someone to talk to now how can they reach you how can they reach help me help you well pretty much you can contact me through social media i'm shamanica slaughter on facebook my inbox never closes <laughs> it never closes i am starting a page for help me help you and everything so that way it won't you know so much flood my personal inbox and then you'll Better, you'll be able to reach me through there so that's pretty much that's how people you know talk with me and everything and then once we do set up a rapport and we talk to each other if you want to talk on the phone you know I can give you my number and we can talk but it, it's a trust that has to come because a lot of these women are ashamed because I was one of them I was ashamed too so that's how you can get in contact with me 
please reach out. Please feel free. I'm, I'm here to talk. I know how to take what you're going through and take it back to God and not keep it on the inside of me. And a lot of times it just needs someone to talk to. Thank you, yes. Thank you guys for responding to my message. I'm so glad I saw your <laughs> post and everything in the group. And I was like, I have to reach out and everything. So I've, I've enjoyed it. Wow. Oh, that was very, that was a lot. I had to take a breath, but that was very refreshing. That was like a, a David and Goliath moment. That was a moment. Mm-hmm. You gotta go. It's like you're bigger than what you are. Like she became a giant. Yes. Well, I'm glad that we could do this together, G. Yes. Stay tuned for another episode of Beyond the Scars.